Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. Uh, thank you guys for being here today. We have a very special guest with us. It's a friend of mine. We met through a friend of a friend, and now we are friends. And it's pretty great. His name is Seamus. And no, it is not Shamus, and it's not Seamus. It is Seamus. So pronounce his name right. But uh, anyway, he is with Alternate Media. He's another uh, person like myself who loves to talk about the Bible. And we're going to have his link and everything below. But with that being said, everyone welcome Seamus. Seamus? Good to have you here, man. How you doing? I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, no, this is super, super fun. I actually have been really enjoying doing interviews. It's been a new favorite passion of mine, uh, which is great because I do like to talk about Bible, but I also like to, you know, fellowship with other people who are, are like-minded. So, uh, so anyway, a lot of people don't know who you are, obviously, because you know they might regular regulars channel, they might not. But so, would you just mind introducing yourself? Tell a little bit about your background, what you currently might do for work, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, well. Uh Seamus is the name. Uh, I uh, am Irish, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, was born, was raised Catholic, and uh, eventually went to more towards like agnostic atheism, more or less. Uh, and then, long story short, uh, did some research. Uh, I, I attended Liberty University uh, to pursue a degree in uh, biblical history. Uh, currently, I'm a reserve marine um, and uh, full-time. Uh, I'm actually a contractor for the government. I work mostly on base and I do a lot of communications installations, security system, uh, a lot of IT, technical, uh, stuff like that, audio, video, um, things like that. Um, so. so basically, so, so it sounds like you're kind of a guy with many stripes so to speak uh so you so you went from you know obviously catholic then you went from agnostic atheism then you kind of jumped into liberty which obviously means you went christian and of course there's been more developments so it's been really interesting obviously but now a marine too so you're no joke so you're probably gonna kill me <laughs> just by you know a twitch of your eyebrow but uh <laughs> shoelace um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Clarify. Thank you for that. Uh, so, um, but anyway, so that's really great. And so, when it comes to obviously, we both have a channel. We both love to talk about the Bible. We love talking about you know maybe uh, confused topics, maybe controversial topics, maybe just uh, anything about biblical truth in general. And it's something I really appreciate about you. You're a really good teacher. Uh, it's something I've gained a lot from you just be our, through our friendship I, by just shooting you a random text at 11 o'clock at night asking a random question. You always do a good job by sending me a book in response, which <laughs> I actually really enjoy because it, it means you're not just giving me like two sentences, so it's pretty great. But uh, what would you say through all this? What is Ed? We're gonna go, of course, kind of go through your story a little bit here, so people know what you believe a little bit, and they can find out more at your channel. Uh, but what's the biggest interest to you as it relates to theology? Well, that's a good one. Uh, so I tend to focus usually on history. Uh, so I guess. Biblical history, biblical hermeneutics, um, you know, how to interpret the Bible in, within its historical context is uh, uh, probably, you know, my biggest area of study. Um, and there's a, there's a particular s style of study in, 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 in exegesis, greater exegesis, um, called Pardes. And it, it's a Hebrew uh, acronym for how to study biblical scripture, um, the Pardes uh, uh, P is for uh, Peshat, means plain, the plain meaning, you know, what, what does the text say? Uh, and then there's Remez, which means like allegory or hints. 
And then there's Darish, uh, which is my favorite personally. And Darish sort of means to puzzle together or, or like to seek out. Um, and then there's Sod, which means mystical, esoteric meaning. Um, and that's uh, a little bit beyond. That's more like philosophy. And, and But Darish, uh, because uh, we see a lot of that in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, he, he's constantly using um, the, this, this method of Darish, uh, like Romans 10. Um, is a as a midrash. Um, the, the the total Hebrew word for that is midrash. Um, there's a set of books called the midrash, but uh, to to actively do that within within biblical uh, interpretation is to it's called uh, to midrash. And uh, that's that's really where I my biggest interests lie is uh, is kind of bringing two passages that wouldn't seem to relate as as we see it in English. Um, but when you read them in Hebrew, you can you can piece and puzzle these two together. Like one is hinting at the other because of the wording, and you can you can glean and gain more information out of that because of that, or or, or gather more interpretive uh, uh, interests and deeper meaning out of out of these things. And, and uh, once again, Paul does it all the time, and so it, it's something that I like to look into um, personally. Yeah, that's really great. I, it's actually one of the things where I have found myself also really like, it's one of the things once you start, the, the Bible in a sense isn't a puzzle, but it is a puzzle. And you can tell where it's so, certain writers really just kind of, they pull from other areas. And once you start realizing certain, th like some of the connected dots, you're like, well, that's, that's crazy. Especially when you get probably into prophecy, when you get into that, things really get like just lush. Uh, <laughs> and you just realize that fact that there's no way in the world that the Bible could just be made up when you really study through that. So I, I really appreciate the fact that especially a historical take on it, because uh, nowadays uh, we have a lot of people who just do the very plain meaning of things, which mm -hmm. isn't necessarily always bad. It's very pragmatic, right? Like, it's very much a practical approach to scripture. Uh, but the, And uh, then there's people who go on the way other side, which get dive more to the philosophical. And that's where you almost get into like what I almost call Christian atheism for a lot, like certain people are like, well, I'm not Christian, but the Bible says, and they kind of get into the philosophy almost too much, I feel like over here. <laughs> um, but I'm like, okay, guys, but there's other things that that's connected. Okay. Um, but I, but you know, that's definitely something uh, I've noticed history. Because the Bible gets oftentimes, as you probably know, and I think you're probably going to get into more of this when you tell your story, that the Bible gets a lot into history. And it's one of those things that it's, uh, it's not just the revelation of God. It's a historical account of God and how he has worked in the world. And so uh, not many people know how historical the Bible really is. In fact, the Bible oftentimes gets attacked at not being historical or historically accurate. So uh, definitely cool to have somebody who's more of a historian who really focuses on that, which is why if anyone... Like I said, we're going to put his information in, uh, in the description below. Check him out. You'll learn a lot of stuff there. But um, so your biggest interest is biblical history and all that. So what's what would you say is your, and obviously this is, uh, take as much time as you want on this, by the way, but what is your story? Yeah, I know you tend to be long-winded, but I don't mind. I don't think our audience does either because I don't think we have many short videos here. So if they watch, they watch. But uh, what's your story theologically, man? And let's kind of walk us through all that because you even mentioned, yeah, Catholic, agnostic atheism, moving on. It's just, there's a lot there. So go ahead and have a good time <laughs> unpacking that for us. Yeah, that, yeah, that one's going to be a long one um, for sure. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I was, of course, growing up in an Irish family. Um, I spent uh, some time living in Derry, Ireland, which is uh, way up north. Um, for anyone that's Irish and knows uh, who's watching, I came from Dunderry. Uh, that's a little nod off to anyone who would know otherwise. But uh, 
So actually, I, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, go uh, ahead. Th we, we have a, a video with Andrew Fittis on here called Pitfalls of the Church. And I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch that, but he uh, he's from a little bit uh, close to Belfast, Ireland. So he's got the accent and everything. Oh, so, so it's funny you're mentioning things. As well. yeah. yeah, so he's from Northern Ireland as well. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But anyway, sorry, <laughs> go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's cool. I had to check, check that, that video out. Uh, it's, it's one of the few I haven't seen yet. Um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, of course, if you're Irish, you're Irish Catholic. It's just kind of goes without being said. Um, later on, just uh, I guess in life, as you go through school and everything, uh, I'd never, you know, you never really take these things seriously. I, I went to confession once, once, uh, <laughs> and that was it. Um, but um, yeah, later on, I guess uh, as I matured, um, it just didn't make sense to me, really. Um, it's not to say that I didn't believe in God specifically. Uh, I would say that looking back on it, I probably didn't. Um, but I was also coherent enough in my thought process to understand that it would be futile to try and disprove God, because um, that you can't, you just can't do that. I, I feel like over thousands of years of human history, if it was possible, it would have been done by now. And so I was, I was, I just came to terms with that. Me, yeah, maybe I do, maybe I don't. I don't let it affect me in any way. Um, but then uh, as I got into high school, um, you know, you have your uh, fellowship of Christian athletes and, and your, your goody two-shoes types that come out of the woodwork a little bit more, and they annoyed the crap out of me. Uh, I absolutely couldn't stand them as people. <laughs> and so... I know that feeling. I, I sort of... Yeah, so, uh, uh, so I sort of sought out to... Like they just seemed kind of hypocritical to me, and uh, so I sought out to point it out um, a little. Um, <laughs> so uh, I I began to kind of start looking into uh, just like reading the Bible and, and and trying to find a good way to disprove it in, in in some sort of way that you know if I get approached again or if I'm having this conversation, I can be like, listen, you don't even keep like your own Bible or blah blah blah. There's this many problems with it. You know, you you have to pro you have the problem, not me. Um, and in that search, uh, once again, I, I I feel like I had the intellectual maturity, uh, you know, to recognize that um, I had to keep an open mind about everything. Like I can't be one of those atheists that only accepts, you know, the times where it, it agrees with me. Um, or an agnostic, however, you know, want to look at me at the time. Um, but I definitely began to, you know, reach and seek out uh, mo mostly historical knowledge. I would not be to win philosophically, but rather historically um, and just break down the Bible. Because I was always told the Bible is a historical document. So, uh, you know, it seems a little far-fetched, uh, you know, read through Genesis one time and go, yeah, sure, history. Okay, whatever, guy. <laughs> so, um, but I had to keep an open mind. Um, so, uh, as it, uh, as I grew up, uh, still freshman in high school, um, began to look into it. My father, um, he got deployed, uh, for a long time. I think it was about seven or eight months. And, uh, basically as soon as he left, um, I got grounded and I, I did, uh, so I definitely deserved it, but I got really grounded. Um, it was, um, I had to take everything out of my room and I'm, a, I'm an artistic guy. I used to paint 
all over my room, uh, like just black paint and, you know, words and designs and things, um, like tattooed style art. And I had to remove everything from my room besides my bed, my desk, and my, my school stuff. And I had to paint over all of my artwork with really white paint that didn't even match the walls. So it looked like I was living in a basement for a while. Um, and uh, as an artist, so I was, that would have killed me because I, <laughs> I, I sketch and I do a lot of stuff like that, too. So that's just funny. I would have died. Yeah. Devastating part, to, to be honest. Uh, everything else, I was like, whatever, I can be fine without it. But when I had to paint over everything, I mean, I was like really, really, really grounded. And it was basically in, until my dad got back was the stipulation. Um, and uh, it was under a tight schedule. And as I was moving everything out of my room and into the basement, um, I had a, a, you know, a copy of a Bible that was given to me in Ireland. It was a nice, uh, Irish green. You know what? I actually have it up here still. I keep it around cause it's basically my first. Um, but, but, uh, I decided I would keep that like hidden. I put it in with my school book bag and I was like, I'm going to, I need that, you know, I need to use it. And so I, I kept that. And, uh, now I have a, uh, you know, a, a ton of downtime and, um, sit down and read the Bible for hours <laughs> uh, to get a, a good idea of you know where um, where uh, everything is I didn't want to like look for history and, and stuff first and then try to find it in the Bible I wanted to have a good overview take all the notes and then go from there and find would be you know be able to be disproven archaeologically and history historically um, however as it turns out uh, Archaeology uh, does not disprove the Bible in almost any way, shape, or form. Um, the more I looked into it, the more it was astounding to me just how uh, archaeologically, historically speaking, um, how accurate the Bible was in its documentation. Um, so uh, the, the, more, the more I looked into it, the more convincing it became as a historical and credible historical document. Uh, so I continued to read, uh, and I, I, I decided I would read the Bible front to back, you know, cover to cover the, the correct way. I always, I always felt like, you know, Christian started at the New Testament and, uh, I couldn't stand that, you know, as a book reader. And, and so I was like, yeah, I'm going to make sure that I do this the right way. And, uh, I got to like Proverbs and Proverbs was mind blowing to me personally. Um, the, the, the amount of wisdom that I found in it, I remember coming to the conclusion. I was still not yet like a, a believer or a follower or anything yet, but um, I remember thinking as I read through Proverbs, I was like, this is actually really good words to live by. Whether you're a believer or not, if you live by these words, you will die a good person, and I think that's worth trying. My youth pastor always said, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. And uh, <laughs> so, because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, so he always recommended we read one chapter of Proverbs per day and then all month long. And then you'd always be, and I did that for actually a long time. So, I'd say thing happened when I was a teenager and an idiot. I was reading it like, <laughs> oh, that's actually really smart. So, anyway, yeah. don't want to steal your thunder, but it's just funny because I'm like, yes, Proverbs connected with me as well. That's funny. Yeah, Proverbs hit home with me very well, and um, it's funny. Excuse me. It's funny that you say that uh, because in uh, in ancient, well, not ancient, uh, but in like more middle uh, middle uh, what what is it, Middle Ages 
to modern Judaism, uh, they do that where they read uh, the Bible, uh, they read a proverb a day, uh, but according to the Hebrew calendar. So there's only 28th, and so they, they tack on a couple of extra proverbs in the end. Um, but they also read through Psalms, and they do like five Psalms a day. Um, so, um, it just, just a little interesting side note. But yeah, so Proverbs spoke to me as just, that if nothing else, um, it is a just, that's, that you know, that's a good, good way to live if nothing else. Uh, you can be an atheist and still agree that these are really good pre- precepts to live by. People will look up to you as a person. You will be a good guy. And, uh, you know, you will go down in memory of other people as being someone that was respectable and, and um, you know, a good person. And so I, I just naturally came to that conclusion. Well, if nothing else, there are I see why now the Bible has, you know, lasted at least this long um, in certain aspects. And so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the best I can to some of these precepts. Um, and uh, so, as time went on, um, my coming into being a believer was extremely gradual. Very, very slow. There was never like a day where I was like, okay, this is it. Um, for me, it, it was extremely gradual. The longer, uh, again, I kept reading, kept looking and, and making sure that everything was checking out. Um, and then eventually I kind of found myself, um, because of this, the overwhelming evidence, I was like, well, you know, uh, if, if nothing else, uh, even though it's a historical document and you can say that, you know, man wrote it down, there are far too many coincidences to say that a God doesn't exist. And, um, so that, that was another natural conclusion. If nothing else, God exists. He has to, there's a lot going on here. This, you like, I hate to use the phrase, you can't make this stuff. Um, but when you start looking into, you know, the, the history of how the Bible was recorded and kept and, and has survived, uh, it, it's like, wow, you can't make this stuff up. Um, one of my favorite example for the longest time the oldest uh, new, uh the oldest old testament copy that we could find was only about four or five hundred years old and that's because the the jewish people they would copy down the text and then when the other text was not usable anymore they would burn it out of respect um and so old old torah scrolls and and you know jewish literature didn't last long uh, you know a few hundred years and then when it was unusable they would burn it respectfully it was a very holy document to them so you know if you can't use it you know, there's no no sense in keeping it around, um, and so that was a, that was always a problem. Um, and then everyone says, "Well, the telephone issue, right?" So it goes and gets passed down. It changes. That the Qumran caves were discovered, uh, and we have whole copies of Isaiah and and uh, Torah scrolls and everything. And and yeah, if you if you scrape through every letter of every scroll that they found, and you currently have have a Hebrew copy of the Old Testament, then you have the exact same copy read before the first century. It's that congruent. It, it, it honestly blew my mind just how flawlessly copied it had maintained, even though there was no older copy than 400 years until the concaves. Um, and so just over time, you know, doing all these studies, I found myself praying um, and living a more biblical lifestyle and um, of course, the the started to uh, kind of come in my life as a as a result. You know, God puts Himself in a 
box by saying if you then I and so you know you keep the promises you you do receive some blessing out of that again you can start to see the evidence for it uh, in my own life and so you know slowly started uh, living that believer's life um, and so I started to I found a church um, it was a place uh, here in town called New Song I think it was an it was a Methodist church but it had a Baptist lead pastor um, <laughs> But it was it was really cool, and I got involved with the youth. Uh, I'm a musician, so I, I wanted to do something like drum or play guitar or anything I could uh, for the church. Um, and then, of course, you know, um, my studies in history never stopped. Uh, to this day, they they never stop. Um, but uh, eventually, I uh, ended up uh, becoming a youth pastor for another church. Um, uh, one, the, the current youth pastor at the time, he sort of took me under his wing and like mentored me, uh, you know, showed me the ways of, of like how to teach, um, and how to relatable, bring it down to earth, um, how to not be a sermonator <laughs> and, um, you know, like act with people in, in, in what you say, uh, how to be a good public speaker. And so, um, when he left, I, I took his place, um. He was a reserve air force, so he actually got stationed somewhere else. So he left, and so I took his place. Did that for a while, and um, the church uh, they loved me. Couldn't pay me full time because I didn't have a degree, and they were part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and so they were kind of like, "Hey, you know, we we want you to have some credentials before we pay you like full time at, for this." And I was like, "Sure, fine. Um, guess I'm going to Liberty." And so I attended Liberty University and studied biblical history. Um, at first I actually studied, uh, youth ministry, um, but I, I changed it after one semester, um, to biblical history as I realized that, uh, the youth ministry degree by itself seems a little useless. <laughs> just, yeah. We always joked around at Bible college too. Like if you were a youth degree, we were just like, oh, okay. They're, uh, they're studying the Bible. When really yeah. they're just learning how to play a cool game of dodgeball, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. No one took you seriously at the youth degree. So, yeah, no, I totally feel you there. Yeah, same with the worship majors. They're like, oh, you play music. Okay. <laughs> exactly, the same concept. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was classically trained as a musician. Uh, I, you know, before I became a believer, all throughout high school, I swore that I was going to go to college to be a music major. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. So I play trombone. That's yeah. funny. So you play trombone. <laughs> I'm a violinist. So hey, I'm currently learning how to play a violin. You'll sound like a dying cat for the first year, just as a. Uh, uh, I've I've been playing I've been playing for two years now, but. Um, hey, so you're past the dying cat stage. Yeah, I'm past the dying cat stage. Awesome. And, awesome. Good. Good. Now you're like into like the cow and labor stage. So very good. Yeah, I mean, I, I've actually so as a guitar player. Um, I, you know, I, I've That's actually true. got my intonation not so bad, so I can I can't do the vibrato quite yet, where it's like natural. So my notes are flat, and and you know, mono. There's not a whole lot of flavor to the note, but you know, I digress. Um, still, as a musician, I was classically trained. I was the first chair every band I ever tried out for. I did all region, uh, all jazz, all state, um, jazz band especially. I was always um, the solo jazz trombone. So I swore that that was going to be like my career, um, but uh, <laughs> but all that changed. Um, eventually, putting more thought in, I thought a history degree would probably be best. I see myself more of a like New Testament uh, 
studies professor, if that makes sense. Um, and I did have a New Testament professor. His name was Dr. Love, which uh, um, he was cool. He's a, he, I don't know if he's still at Liberty, but he, uh, he was a Liberty professor. Really cool guy. Also a biblical history major. One of the best New Testament classes I'd ever, ever taken under him. Um, and uh, yeah, but as I, as I grew uh, in the walk... Um, and the more I looked into history, I eventually came into a more uh, observant lifestyle. Um, and a lot of that just comes from understanding a lot of the historical contexts that come into the Bible. There, there's more to meets. There's more than meets the eyes. The saying. Um, and so I began to live a little bit more of a like Old Testament style, like a Torah lifestyle, uh, based off of what I was seeing in the New Testament. That things that made sense to me that were really practical and also very profound or spiritual in their own right. Um, and I uh, learned a lot of it. Uh, so I, I, I joke with people sometimes um, <laughs> that uh, I went to a private Baptist uh, college uh, university and came out Jewish. <laughs> wow. The indoctrination did not work the way they probably wanted it. <laughs> no, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, let's see here. So, uh, yeah, um, the, uh, I guess the rest of that is, um, that, so that's, I guess that's my story. Uh, just looking in, I see that the, the biblical texts are just elegantly written. Um, they they have a, they've had to have some sort of divine help. Um, even I came to that conclusion even before going to college, obviously, eventually I was a youth pastor. So, um, but yeah, um, you you just can't if you if you look honestly into history, you can't deny that some really crazy miraculous things that are recorded in the archaeological finds and in other historical documents that line up so well with even things that would seem so out of the ordinary to us. Um, it's all there. You just you you have to be honest with yourself and look, uh, and you have to be able to look at everything. You know there are going to be atheists that actually give you really good information historically that pertain biblically and they didn't see it that way but you know you can put it together yourself yeah absolutely no it's funny because that's what i did i studied uh more and more because i went through a weird phase i was like i don't know how much of this i actually really believe and similar like in high school and the more and more i like kind of picked at it the more i was like I don't know, guys. It seems pretty seems pretty tried and true so far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, one of the things was um, when you mentioned like just the, the the preservation of some of these texts and like how because like not only is it record that not only did we find that in the Quran uh, the Quran caves like the uh, Quran 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what that's the Dead Sea Scrolls essentially. Uh, so then, yeah. but then you go on and it's like oh, and then if also if you look into like places like the Talmud and all these other areas of Jewish writing where they actually record from eons, essentially, over this yeah. period of time, record parts of the Old Testament in there and com do commentaries on it. You're like, oh, wait, that's that's word for how do you can't make that up. And then when you get into places like Isaiah 53 and parts that's like, oh, yeah, by the way, that's a very clear expression of who Jesus Christ would be or Yeshua Messiah. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> 
hey. just different languages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, no, I, I have much like yourself. I have a love for the Old Testament. But um, so currently, what? So now you went through. It's quite a journey. So what would you currently identify yourself as? Because I think that's I think that's a fun thing, and it's hard because obviously anything you say always has to have like a caveat, right? Like, yep. no, like well, it's like, well, I'm a Christian, and that's okay. That's a loaded term. Can you unpack that for me? And then it's like, well, I'm an evangelical. And then you're like, okay, can you unpack that for me? And there's like, there's a, so terms obviously help us get an understanding, but it's so hard to fully narrow down what, what you fully mean by a certain term. Just like if I like, I just think it was funny when someone's like, well, I'm a Baptist. I'm like, well, there, <laughs> what kind? Cause there's a lot of them. So uh, what would you currently identify yourself as? Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that depends on who asks me. <laughs> uh, because it is, there, there's so many uh, presuppositions that come with certain words. Um, and I try to avoid affirming people's presuppositions at all costs. Uh, I respect that. I want people to, yeah, I want people to question everything. And so things that you think go without being said, uh, I think you should question that. Why does that go without being said? But, um, but it does depend on who asks me. Um, like if, if somebody simply wants to know my religious practice, Usually I say Jewish, just for simplicity's sake. Um, you know, like in the Marines, uh, I get asked, you know, hey, uh, you know, what are you? And I'm, if, if I can tell that he's not like asking me theologically, what are you? It's, it's more like, hey, you know, uh, just, just as an idea of who you are, where do you sit? And I'll usually just say, yeah, uh, you know, I'm a practicing Jew. You know, I'm not born Jewish, but I, I practice uh, Judaism. Um, and that way, with those presuppositions, to me, it's it's easier to break down saying I'm Jewish, but I believe in Jesus, uh, than it is to say I'm Christian, but I'm a practicing Jew. Because then, for some reason, that word order messes with everybody's thought process, and they're just like, "Wait, that's not possible. That's illegal." Like, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> and if I if they don't want to have that conversation, then I won't have it with them. I just, all right, I'm Jewish. Uh, I keep kosher. I keep the Sabbath. That's all you really care about. Then that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fair. Uh, no, I've noticed that too. Cause like whenever I've tried to explain who you and Brad are, I was actually, I had my buddy over last night and we were talking about it a little bit. And I was like, I was really excited for Seamus's interview tomorrow just cause it's going to be so cool to actually have a face to face interaction uh, with somebody who I have high respect for, which is weird because like, again, this is our first real face to face interaction, yeah. hopefully a lot more. Um, and it was one of those like, and I was like, it. I was like, well, they're like, you know, they're, I, I first was like, he's a Torah following believer. And he's like, what? How does that work? And you're right. The word order got him all like, and I was like, okay, uh, he's a Jew who believes that Jesus was the Messiah. Oh, and I'm like, <laughs> and it's funny you say that because I noticed that whenever I say that, because then people are familiar with like messianic Jews is what they, what the Christianity tends to call them because they recognize yeah. Jesus as Messiah. Although technically every Jew is messianic because they're all looking for the Messiah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, tomato, tomato, which way are you going to slice it? Yeah, I get it. So, um, potato, so yeah, potato. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you're Irish. So potato, potato is probably more appropriate. Uh, we just say oh, potato. <laughs> uh, oh, potato. Okay. Well, I just don't want to get you PTSD from the famine. So I just, <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. Um, no, no, that's a funny. I, I love you. Can't offend me. You cannot possibly offend me with what you say. I love the Jew jokes. I love the Irish jokes. Um, 
There's nothing you could say that would possibly offend me. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I'm Dutch and German, so like I get cheap jokes and I get Nazi jokes, so that's good. And my last name is Hess, which, by the way, Rudolph. Uh, yeah, Hess, I was, was going say. Like, Famous Nazi was named Hess, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no relation at all, at all. Uh, I hope. <laughs> um, especially because I'm usually on the side of Israel here, so everyone calm down. But uh, yeah, so um, my, my, I guess my biggest thing, besides history, uh, what is the biggest thing that would you say has influenced your theology? Oh, besides history, what has influenced my theology? Okay, um... Okay. okay, so at Liberty U, uh, I was I was taught that you can't you can't read the Bible from a 21st century Christian approach. Um, that each book was written to an audience specifically, and you have you, you have to read it without understanding first. I know that's still like a history answer, but uh, but the more the more I looked into it historically, the more it changes the meaning of the text um, from what I originally thought and. Help correct, uh, I guess, some misconceptions that I initially had, uh, especially as a brand new person reading it. And there's some things you, you, you naturally have questions. Um, and then there's sometimes you go to a pastor with some of these questions and they're like, you know, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and history was usually the answer um, for that, for that it, particular uh, situation. Yeah, no, it's funny because. I mean, I had a similar experience when I w went there. I was like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. So not everything was written exactly to me in the Bible. Oh, there's context to some of these things. Oh, wait, context. I guess that's important, huh? Yeah, I guess I, I, when someone walks in, it, I mean, we've all had that moment where someone awkwardly walked into a, the wrong time of a conversation. Yeah. And we're like, we're like, bad timing. I swear it makes sense. It's not as bad as it sounds. And I think that's so often what we do in the Bible, too. We just kind of jump in the middle of something and just try to dice it. And you're like, whoa, hold up, hold up. Give it some context. Let's break it down. Yeah. Uh, like one of things, yeah, like, hold on. Uh, like Proverbs was one of those things where I realized that it wasn't all just expressed promises or commands straight from God. No, though, this was wisdom of Solomon poured out to his head. It's like it's still godly wisdom, but it's the context there is different on who is who is Solomon, who is he writing to, what's mm -hmm. the wisdom being portrayed in it, and like for the idea of like train up a child in the way he should go, for when he's old he will not depart from it. But we could, you know, that's a, that's a Solomon proverb, but at the same time, it wasn't necessarily a full-on promise from God because we all know, even in the Bible, we see people. I mean, Jacob and Esau. We see we see rebellion happen, even though they were trained well. Uh, so it's right. like, oh yeah. wait, oh that's a wisdom principle. Oh, right. I, I, I don't know. It's just <laughs> it's just funny how some how context. So you you would say basically history and hermeneutics, like so, were the things that really affect you. By the way, hermeneutics for the audience, hermeneutics is the fancy word for interpreting the Bible correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I forget sometimes that I use big words. Um. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I do the same thing. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, so to, to answer the question, I've, uh, though, like something besides history, right? Like that, that was the, um, the question, if, if you don't mind rephrasing it for me real quick one more time, just so I have a good... Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, it's just, what's the biggest things that influenced you to change your theology? Besides, of course, the history part, because I know that's obvious. Okay. Uh, so, hmm, it was a slow, once again, a very slow progression. I'm a very cautious person. <laughs> very conservative of you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I don't jump into most things headfirst. I usually take 
take a lot of time to uh, ponder things and, and make sure that before I do anything, I have a fullness of understanding in that thing. Um, the last thing I want to do is be the, the you know, um, again, uh, motivated by my past to try to destroy Christians. The last thing I want to do is present myself in some sort of manner that I'm not ready to. And so when I'm questioned on it, I, I end up being like those unprepared Christians that don't know why they do the things that they do. And so that was a big motivator for me is, to, you know, to stay cautious, to really take my time with everything and test it all. Make sure before I make a decision that I've, I've explored every possible avenue. Um, but the biggest thing to change my theology besides history, I would probably say, uh, it, probably start with like the Sabbath day, actually. Uh, and the reason I say that um, is because it was is one of the ten. And so one of my original questions was well, why the Sunday change? And some of the answers I got were, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, it's the, the day of the resurrection. And uh, I get that. Um, but I didn't see in the New Testament specifically where there was like an authoritative, hey, this is now the new day. Um, and, you know, to me, again, having read it from the back first, I was like, well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. So I feel like you have to really have a good justification to change that. Um, and so, um, there, there are a few misunderstandings that come with understanding a Hebrew day. Um, and so there are, there are, there are passages that are in the new Testament where it does say that the, the believers met on the first day of the week. Um, and I think, uh, I think the, the, the one where Paul, he gave like a, a sermon all the way until midnight. And I've heard and said in churches before that he, you know, all day he, he preached for 12 hours. Um, but I think that comes from a misunderstanding of a Hebrew day. A day in Hebrew begins at sundown. And so the Sabbath day would have ended Saturday night, and they would have lit candles, ha, you know, done the, the wine and bread uh, blessing. Uh, and then at the, end, at the ending of the Sabbath day, naturally, they're already meeting together. It is now officially the first day of the week. And so they were meeting on the first day of the week after the Sabbath day had just ended. And so Paul would have spoken from probably about 9 o'clock to midnight, not, you know, midday dune, noon to midnight. And so th th there are a few things where you're like, wow, that sounds really crazy. Uh, but you, you put it back in its context, and you're like, oh, that's actually a lot more reasonable. That makes sense why they were meeting on the first days, because the Sabbath day was ending. They would have already been together at either someone's house or a synagogue, uh, lit the candles, blessed the wine and the bread, and then have a lesson afterwards, because that's what you do after you, you get done um, blessing the Sabbath day and saying goodbye to the Sabbath day. And so, you know, just that little bit, the, the Sabbath day was kind of the first step for me to change the way I view theology and to start being, uh, you know, to bring the Bible back into context and be observant in, in order to better understand uh, the, the, the Bible, the people of the Bible, the, uh, the way they did things back then. Uh, the, the common cliche is to, to return to the Church of Acts. Uh, and the more I read Acts, uh, you know, it just seemed like they were still meeting in synagogues and they were still meeting on Saturday nights after the Sabbath day was over. Um, and so I didn't see anything wrong with um, practicing a Sabbath day. It, I was like, you know, this sounds like it would be a nice day to have, to set aside a day to do nothing, no work, um, and, you know, maybe study scripture all day. And then, you know, uh, that's what would Jesus do? Jesus was Sabbath observant, so it's, it's why not? Why not give it a try? If it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me, right? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so that was That's like that sure. first step. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, that actually is really interesting because uh, Brad or you sent me an interesting discussion debate on that. And I was like, this is really interesting stuff. Um, so that's what, and that, guys, is why you need to go follow Seamus because there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming out by him and Brad. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff that kind of helps build that context a little bit. So, um, so would you say that was kind of one of your first moments, your first like Achilles heel? Like, oh, wait, maybe I haven't had a full understanding of this properly, you know, um, you know, or, or whatever. Would you say the Sabbath day was like your Achilles heel issue that turned you into looking more into following the Torah now as a believer in Jesus Christ? Or um, was there another issue? Or is it just kind of like, again, like you said, you're very gradual and cautious. So it's just kind of like picking up one thing after another. Good question. Uh, it's actually a good question. I would. So I, th I think it started as I stammer. I think it started more with uh, the Sabbath day for sure. But I, I can distinctively remember, I think my, my Achilles heel to use your words, um, would probably have been the kosher laws. And the reason I remember that is um, I, I was I had just you know done a lot of studying. Uh, I was about to go to work. Um, some of these ideas had been um, portrayed to me, and I thought about it. I, I've spent a lot of time looking into it and studying, and I, I wasn't fully convinced. And one day I was sitting for work. Uh, I was a waiter at the time, and I was eating a big plate of bacon cheese fries. Um, <laughs> and, you know, bacon cheese fries. They were waffle fries, too. They were awesome. And, uh, but I remember thinking um, to myself in that moment, um, I thought, you know, I'm not fully convinced, but if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But if I change this and I'm still wrong, well, then who cares? But if they're right, then I'm wrong. And that's a problem. And to err on the side of safety, I think I should give, give up the bacon. I feel like that, you know. I feel like that's not too much, and so that's, my that soul was... just died a little on the inside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, to be to be honest, the, the bacon is good, um, but I, I was never a big pork fan uh, my whole Honestly, life. Honestly, bacon's anyway. the only pork I've ever ever really enjoyed. I don't care about <laughs> pork loins or any of it. I'm more of a chicken guy and like a steak. Honestly, so <laughs> yeah, I uh, bacon's probably the only thing I miss. Uh, <laughs> But um, but that I think that was the moment for me where I just thought, you know, if, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But, you know, if they're right uh, uh, and, and I'm wrong, that's the problem. But if I keep these anyway and, and it doesn't matter, well, then it doesn't matter. You know, what's the big deal? Um, so for now, I'll err on the, ca on the side of caution, on safety. And um, that was the sort of defining moment for me. I remember specifically I... I, I um, did not eat the plate, the rest of the plate of bacon cheese fries, and sort of was like, you know, I think uh, I think that's it for me. Um, <laughs> no one can say you're fake. No one can say you're fake. If you give up bacon cheese fries right in front of you, you know you're committed. So I got to give you that. Uh, that that's awesome. I, yeah, I, that's actually that's an interesting point. Like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, uh, and who cares if I follow this? But if I'm wrong and I'm wrong, then I I feel like I you know that's obviously would be sin before God if I if we're oh, we are held to this standard. So I find that to be I find that to be a respectable uh, position to have. Honestly, uh, I mean I wouldn't. I think I've told you that before. Like some of these things that we've talked about, I'm like oh I don't understand why sometimes you people get upset about you at you for these things uh, at <laughs> bet I mean at best right like okay uh, at best from a standard Christian view like a standard evangelical whatever you what labels from a standard <laughs> view uh, 
that would at least just be a liberty issue not to, to choose to follow those things. So I don't really see why uh, you would get such a such a, a reaction, which I guess uh, I'm not sure if you had more to say there, but that can move me on to my next question that I have to, for yeah, you. Yeah, go right on. Okay. <laughs> so now my the question is, is because you, you're doing a series right now, Killing the Church, and uh, your series that you and Brad are focusing on, which by the way, talk about shock and all, like I'm over here running the church split thinking I'm being edgy with just the name the church split, and then you guys come in with like, Killing the Church. I'm like, wow, all right, so just, <laughs> I'm being edgy and you guys are just going for the throat. <laughs> um, but actually, I really, I really enjoy it because it is actually interesting stuff. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> so as somebody who is Jewish, who believes in Christ, and you know, you follow these things, how, how much vitriol did you or do you get for this position of yours? And, and you know, what seemed to be the biggest misconceptions, just kind of dive into that because I, I uh, Brad's told me, I think, more than you have, but like I, I've been surprised by some of the reactions you get from people. So just go ahead and have fun diving in there and throw some shade if you want, but <laughs> have a good time with it. No, no, uh, no shade necessary. Um, yeah, I usually, uh, I'm uh, unlike, unlike Brad, you know what, I'm going to throw some shade at Brad. Unlike Brad, <laughs> um, he's a little bit more uh, abrasive uh, when, he, when it comes to these things. And, um, Doesn't sound like uh, Brad at all. <laughs> and as, as you uh, have stated before, and I, I see it in myself, I'm self-aware, um, that I'm less so. I try to be less abrasive. So I don't get quite as much blowback as Brad probably does, um, you know, because I, I'm a little bit more friendly with how I introduce my concepts. I tend to save bigger issues uh, for when we're more comfortable with people. But but I still usually get a, quite a bit of um, blowback or vitriol. Um, um yeah. Do, do, do you want me to give like reasons behind these uh, blowbacks or? Yeah, go ahead. Like, I would love for you to talk about the misconceptions of what people think uh, about your beliefism because I've already yeah. heard I was once in a discussion group with Brad and Brad got thrown some stuff at him where I was like, well, that's not what he said at all. Like, are you what? So um, yeah. I, I think it would be. Yeah. Could, could you just go ahead and explain the misconceptions of what people believe, you know, probably workspace salvation and stuff like that? Yeah, no, it goes right into the question. I just didn't want to get too far ahead. Um, but um, yeah, usually uh, I do get a lot of blowback, but it, it's uh, not not as much as Brad usually is. Um, and the blowback that I usually get eventually, uh, it, the, well, the biggest reason is also the biggest misconception. I usually get accused of trying to earn my salvation. And that, that is one of the biggest blowbacks. Uh, every, every time someone's like, oh, wow, you, uh, you keep the Sabbath day, huh? So uh, trying to earn your way into salvation, I see. And, and it's like this real like backhanded sort of way of doing that. <laughs> and um, so I, I usually try my best to clarify uh, that uh, I 100% I recognize that you cannot earn salvation at all, that that is never something that you can accomplish. Um, that we are justified um, by faith in slash of uh, Jesus Christ. The reason I say in of is the, is the Greek word that's being used there. I'm sh that's a dis discussion for another day. Um, but you are 100% justified by faith uh, in Jesus, of Jesus. Um, but the reason I do the works of the Torah are because I am saved. It's It's more of a a response to the debt that was paid on my behalf rather than in a, an attempt to win favor with God. 
Um, and another reason that I, I keep them is uh, I have learned that uh, as I keep a lot of these these lifestyle changes that you actually begin to understand more of uh, the the nature of the Bible. Um, so excuse me. So uh, um, yeah, so uh, that that's probably the biggest misconception. And that's the one I usually, uh, you know, immediately people open up Galatians and, and they start talking about uh, uh, the, like the Torah. And if like me, me keeping the works is like spitting on the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, I get that one quite a bit. Um, and, um, but yeah, the goal is not to earn my salvation. Uh, you know, like Romans 7 verse 7 uh, it, um, or Ephesians 1, uh, 5, 1 is probably better. Um, but I'm just trying to imitate my master. Um, I, I'm sorry. I honestly, I think that's awesome. I, like that's, that's beautifully put because we all know that Jesus was a follower, a teller, a follower. Peter was, as we've talked about. And so there, as far as that's concerned, it's one of those things where it's like, well, no, I'm not trying to earn it. And it's funny because guess what? Even Israel didn't believe they earned their salvation by following that. It's always been true. understanding that justification has been by faith. In fact, Israel failed a lot. Guess what, guys? That's the book of Judges. Like, read the book of Judges. Israel was <laughs> regularly failing at this, but yet God still considered them as people. And so I just find that to be a really funny thing where people are like, well, you're just trying to earn your salvation. And it's like, well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'm sure, are you not murdering people? They're like, well, no, it's a sin. And you're like, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to simply obey, and I'm not trying to earn my salvation through a certain obedience. And you know, it's funny too because it's not even like you walk around beating people over the face with the Torah either. Like you're actually very polite and educational too. It's not that it's it, that's what, what's funny about it. It's like that's what has made me like I'm like, man, I'm gonna follow these guys. This is interesting because it's not like you're bludgeoning people with things and calling them a bunch of sinning heretics. You're just like, hey, let me build proper context here. And this is why I think uh, this X Y Z, and I just. I don't know. I find it respectable. So I, I can see that being a big misconception. Is there is there another one that's another another fun one for you to talk about? Hmm. Not entirely. Um, let me see here. Yeah, well, hmm. Yeah, to that actually to that point, um, another misconception is that um, I commonly hear it being said something like, you know, the Torah was judgment. Uh, there's grace now in in Jesus. Um, I think that I think that's like a Roman passage, uh, maybe Galatians as well. Um, but yeah, if you uh, once again, and you said it, uh, Israel's always believed that you are justified by faith. Um, you're not saved by the works. Um, and um, yeah, so at the, I, I, to, to that point also. The Torah is designed, uh, at least the way the Jewish people see it, is something for you to look at yourself with. It's a mirror so that you can see the best version of yourself, the way God intended you to be. And uh, you're not allowed to turn that mirror around at someone else. Uh, and so I, the biggest reason I try not to be the Torah thumper and go around converting people into Torah following or anything like that is because that th this is for me to look at myself and change who I am because, you know, God saved me. Um, if you have questions, would happily answer, but I'm not the kind of person that is going to, yeah, to try and, you know, make you into a Torah follower. And that, that is another big misconception is usually if the topic gets brought up, they start getting combative right away, thinking that I'm going to attempt to convert them. And, you know, I like to try and clarify anyways, like, hey, this is, this is my lifestyle, you know, let's talk about individual soul liberty kind of thing. 
Um, I'm not trying to convert you into this. Um, this is just this is just for me. You know, this is between me and God. And if if you feel convicted, then it's between you and God. Um, but it's not for me to you know act in that in that position against you like that. Which the idea of a mirror being used for self also explains why a lot of Jews don't look at, uh, don't run around even proselytizing. That's not their goal. Yeah. Their goal is to, you know, and that's one of the things that first struck me when I started understanding Judaism was a bit of like, oh, it's weird that they don't go run around like door knocking. They're not like the J-dubs <laughs> running around. And it's just, it's funny because like, oh, that makes sense because of the mirror. That's like, no, this is for self-reflection. It's not for external. I would say that would be a pretty big misconception. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of other things when you get into like more of the Torah following that there's a lot of in-house debates and even on that side which I've yeah. joined some groups just to kind of get a better understanding of some things and I'm like wow some of y'all are crazy on some of these things I don't Where's that coming from? And uh, me and Br <laughs> we've had fun conversations about some of those things. But, uh, you know, I, and that's what's the funniest thing as well is the fact that obviously you guys preach and teach and you truly do teach that salvation is through grace alone, through faith in God and Jesus Christ. And you recognize Jesus as the perfect and holy Messiah. So, uh, you know, you, you call him my master even. I noticed that in your video and I thought that was actually eloquently put when you were talking about what master said, my master says this. I, is there something you would have? Sorry. You made a face. No, no, no. Am I, I saying just, that right? Just, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not misrepresenting your beliefs. No, no, no. Yeah, we, we, we say it that way on purpose. I'm very deliberate with most of my words. Um, and, uh, and that's just because the idea is uh, we are slaves uh, to the Messiah. And so he is my master, and I am his slave. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, that's why. I, and I, it's also uh, just an interesting little different spin on the way we look at the messiah i think it makes it more personal when you say something like you know my master or the master um, actually really but, i i thought that was great because i was like oh yeah because we are slaves it says we are slaves to jesus christ so i just thought that was a when you referred to as my master or the master i was like man cool like I just, yeah because <laughs> he really kind of is <laughs> yeah. so that's that's my uh i don't know i i enjoy i'm like yourself, I tend to be deliberate with my words, so I, I enjoy the fact that I could tell them, like, hmm, that's a different way. So, um, so how do you, so now your position obviously is a very different position compared to what most Christians are. I can already feel, I can already hear the keyboard warriors typing as, yep, as we're talking. Heretic! But, so how, the thing is, is obviously the church is very divided, and we've, we've talked about that before. There's a lot of division in the church, and hence why I just was like, you know, if I to talk about divisive topics, I may as well name myself the church split and just kind of own it. Um, so how do you believe your position can help unite the church, even if they don't maybe follow uh, the Torah? Because I myself, like I said, I, I, and for those who are watching, I, I you know, I'm not a Torah follower, but at the same time, like I have a huge amount of respect for it and I'm, kind, you know, I'm always kind of flirting with it. So, <laughs> um, but so how would you say that this can you help unite your church, uh, at, even for people who might not fully agree? with you yeah that's a good um so i would say we have a lot more in common than most people realize um most christians probably don't realize that they actually already keep a majority of certain torah laws um that's true but um yeah we have far more similarities than differences uh, i would argue and um but i you know i, I believe that um for me specifically, I, I try to study these these historical things and create some clarity in order to help create unity, um, because with clarity comes unity. If everyone's of the same thought process and these things make sense, then as long as that person has you know basic understanding of common sense, like you can assume that they would uh, agree as long as everything is congruent. 
And so history has, for me, helped to prove the legitimacy of the Bible. And a lot of the questions that I think some Christians have that they can't find answers to are actually answered uh, in a historical slash Torah observant lifestyle. Um, And the reason I say that is when you, I've seen in my life anyway, when uh, when you live a Torah lifestyle, I, I tend to think that I actually have a better understanding, and I say that in quotations because uh, I'm using the un- the word un- to to know, uh, like like the biblical to know. It's an intimate knowledge, um, and I, I, because of my lifestyle, the practice, I ha- I have a better you know knowing of the Bible um, than I think most practicing uh, than most Christians would. Um, would 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 understand uh, because you know I, I quite literally try to imitate the Messiah um, and and that that with that comes with a certain lifestyle and that just uh, in living that lifestyle has created some uh, quite a bit of clarities that come with the Bible even just keep really just keeping one Sabbath day and doing it the way that they did it back then um, the next time you read through the New Testament, it will change the way you read the New Testament. And if you go to one Passover Seder, it will change the way you look at the New Testament uh, because now you have a better understanding. You know, you can read about a Passover Seder, but until you sit in one, um, you don't really know, like the biblical know, about Passover. Uh, and same with, with everything else that's that's uh, in in the Torah. And so I, have a, I feel like I have a better understanding. And, you know, if we were to come together, if we all tried our best to imitate imitate the lifestyle of messiah we would see a little bit more unity because everyone can agree that the idea is to almost in a more literal sense imitate the messiah and historically speaking again uh, a disciple back then would literally imitate their master their rabbi in every way shape or form if you were a disciple of a rabbi if your rabbi had a lisp you spoke with a lisp if he had a limp because of a bad leg you would walk with a limp. I mean, you literally imitated and tried to become the image of your master. Um, and this was what was going on uh, back in the day uh, at the time of, of Yeshua and his ministry and his teaching. Uh, and it was a good way to help identify, you know, who was who was your master? A man, well, he, he's walking with a limp and he speaks with a lisp. He must be belong to this, you know, rabbi, one of his disciples. Um, sort of like the whole, if you've seen me, you've seen the master. Like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And the implication there is that Jesus is imitating God. And, and Paul even says, imitate God, therefore, as dearly loved children, which is quite a claim. And later on, I think in Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is a really big, (laughs) uh, quite the claim. But, you know, I take those things more literally um, and try to live those lifestyles in order to kind of better see the things that I otherwise would have missed um, by by overlooking it or reading about it, but not actually living it. And um, so I, I think it as long as people were to have a better understanding of of these precepts, um, it would get rid of the stigmatism that comes with the word the law. Uh, we tend to think of that as a really bad thing. And if we can get past that stigmatism, there'd be a lot more unity um, and, and a lot more practice, I think. And so that that's where I come from. I, I, my goal is to bring unity to the church, um, ultimately. Uh, but I, And I just think that a good way to do that is to live the lifestyle that Jesus lived. And, if, and people are going to ask you about it. And that's a really good talking point to get on, even for total strangers who you never would have conversa- had a conversation with. Uh, if they see you wearing weird tassels off the side of your garment 
uh, Jesus used to wear tassels, um, they're going to ask about it. And it's like, oh, well, you know, my master, Jesus, the Messiah, uh, also wore tassels. And in fact, he healed the woman that had the blood issue for 12 years. Uh, she grabbed onto his tassels and that's how she was healed. And so um, I'm just trying to live like my Messiah. I do this in remembrance of him kind of thing. And so I'm just, you know, that's the, where I'm coming from, I guess. No, I actually think that's really that's really interesting. Well put. Plus, I think another way that it helps unite is us. How how is more context to the Bible going to ever not unite? Like it should be something that unites us. Like having more context there is valuable, and you know it's something that the more and more you get into biblical context, it helps. So I think that's actually really well put. And if nothing else, it, you know, it's not like you're trying to divide. It's, it's something that brings it brings you together and allows you to uh, appreciate things. And I mean, I even think of what David says. You know, he goes, "Your law is good and a delight." Like he's mm -hmm. like David, the psalmist. He he waxes eloquently about God's law. So and there's this weird connotation that I feel like Christians are constantly apologizing for the Torah now. And <laughs> I really I really don't like that at all because like no, I'm not apologizing for the Torah. That's that was like that's God's law to Israel. Like no. No, that's I'm not apologizing for that. There's there's reasons for that, and I'm reading actually a really good book uh, by uh, uh, Peter Culpin or Paul Culpin, and I'm having a hard time. But is God a moral monster? And he's he's just walking through the Old Testament context historically, and it's just fascinating because I'm like, yeah, this actually makes a lot of sense why these things were a thing, especially you know like the way they had to deal with the Canaanites and so many. But the thing is also the misconceptions of how they handled the Canaanites and right. how they dealt with the outsider because this is this weird idea that they're xenophobic. It's like no, they're actually probably one of the most welcoming lands you could ever go to yeah. uh, so obviously you know that you could probably that's probably a whole like rabbit hole that you could totally have a, a good time in you would bring it so that would be a great way to bring in unity i love the way you put that so well put um and so what would be and as we close what's your biggest advice you'd give people theologically so people who are maybe curious about theology people who are just maybe starting out uh maybe even an unbelievable what, like theologically what is your biggest uh advice yeah, that's a that's a hard one. Um, I had to think on this one quite a bit. Um, I know I was not an easy yeah. question. I apologize. No, it's uh, I, I love the hard questions. Um, <laughs> but uh, be between a few things, I would say the biggest one is uh, don't be afraid to ask Big Brother. And by that I mean um, Israel, uh, the Jewish people. Um, so. We, as, as believers, as Gentiles, um, if you look at the promises that are written in the Old Testament about a coming covenant, a new covenant, um, all of those promises are made with Israel and Israel alone. Not a single promise belongs to the Gentile people in any way. So the only way for you to achieve salvation, even with the blood of Messiah, is actually to be grafted in, into the house of Israel. And that's Romans chapter 11, to be grafted into the tree um, and so Paul makes a very clear distinction, though. He says that, uh, you know, just remember the root supports you, not the other way around. Um, and I, I, again, I take these things very literally and I'm like, OK, wow. So, uh, you know, uh, they are big brother. Um, if I've been adopted into a brand new family, let's say, and um, the natural born child is going to probably teach me the house rules because he knows better. I'm brand new. So, hey, you know big new brother, uh, show me, show me some, some of the things that I need to know going into this household. Um, and so don't be afraid to like ask big brother, so to speak. And by that, I mean, you know, just look into, uh, look into what some, uh, if you have a question, 
see what a, a, a Jewish man might have to say about it, Partic- particularly in Orthodox, uh, you know, like in the Midrash and the Talmud. Now, I, I know these 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 terms and books. Uh, there's so many volumes of it. It's extremely overwhelming when you start just even Google searching for some of these uh, writings. Yeah, not gonna lie. When the first time I started looking into some some Old Testament beliefs and commentaries, it's like, what's the Talmud? Oh, the Talmud is like eons of different rabbis. Oh, they're arguing too over over all this <laughs> stuff for so. Long. Oh, it's like one big like hundreds of years of debate going on here and commentary. It was just it was very just sensory overload and very interesting though. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. So it is it is a bit overwhelming, uh, and so you know I, I like to help warn people going into that. But there are some books that you can find that uh, kind of dumb everything down. There's like a book called Every Man's Talmud. It's like this thick. It's got like 200 pages in it. And it just kind of systematically breaks down the 73 volumes of Talmud and gives you the good parts that you probably care about. Um, and, uh, and that's like a good place to start um, and just see what they have to say. See how they came to that conclusion. You know, we tend to rip on the Jewish people for the way that they keep the law sometimes. Um, just like uh, one example, everyone's always like, well, they, they can't rip toilet paper on the Sabbath day because they're so strict with their law keeping. And uh, I'm like, yes, that, that might be true for them. However, have you asked them why they think that? Because I'm sure they've already asked that question and they didn't just go, well, because, so shut up. Um, there's actually a very good legitimate reasoning behind doing that. I don't agree with it personally, but I see why they drew that conclusion. And so at the very least, I can now relate to why that is. And that's true with any other law that's like on the Sabbath day. Um, you know, like you can't turn the lights on or off. Another one that like I don't necessarily agree with, but um, I understand why they have that law there. And so I can at least sympathize with the reasoning. And, and most of the time, uh, I find myself admiring that reasoning. Uh, they, they've had it for much longer than us. They are the people of the book. They are the keepers uh, of the tradition. They have flawlessly kept it over time. And, and so they know better uh, the scriptures than uh, I could ever hope to accomplish, especially since they grew up in it. Um, most most uh, 12-year-old Jewish boys have the, ta- the, the, the Torah memorized um, you know, before they turn 13. And I barely have the Book of Romans memorized. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then a uh, and a rabbi has to study for at least 25 years and be at least 33 years of age before he can even be called rabbi, and he has to have the Talmud memorized. And they, they have so much to offer. And so my biggest advice is, you know, don't be afraid to go to that and see what they have to say on certain things. And you might, you know, be surprised what you find. And it may, it, it will almost indefinitely, I will say with almost absolute certainty, bring you closer to God because of that knowledge. And if nothing else, it'll make you more critically think about what you do. Like, that's that's one of the things, like, it's like sometimes I read some of those, I, I even read, yeah, I read some Jewish traditions and whatnot that I'm like, I don't know if I'd do that. This is a little weird. But at the same time, uh, when I, you understand the, con- and that's really the thing, context to everything, right? Everyone's got a reason for stuff. So before you just instantly throw stones, and I, I, uh, Brian and I regularly talk about um, the absurdity of belief, uh, which is whenever you're hearing something that you don't adhere to or you don't you don't believe yourself, you instantly go, how absurd. And before you even <laughs> give it a chance, you've already slapped your label on it. It's just the absurdity of belief. And it's like, well, maybe for a second, 
talk to them. Uh, you know, I had a great yeah. opportunity to talk to a Jehovah's Witness one time, and in the end, he was like, oh, gotcha. I completely believe in an entirely false system. And it was a really cool experience to be able to have, uh, you know, and it, but the point was, is I had to go into what he believed and I had to understand it. I had to come to, and I know that's not for everybody. I've noticed that in general. Like my uh, my father-in-law, he's like, you know what? I just stay away from anything like that. I don't want any kind of possible false teaching, da, da, da. And he's more cautious than that. He's like, I'm very secure where I'm at. I'm good. And I get it. Not everyone wants to. It's a lot of work. It could be daunting. But yeah, just just take time to, you know, I, I like that. Ask Big Brother. Because the more and more I understood the Old Testament, the more it came to life for me. And the more that the Bible started kind of clicking. And I'm not even saying, I understand a lot of all of it. Like I, I don't. Like I just have a very, uh, very decent understanding, and I would, do not have in-depth knowledge. But at the same time, what I do know, what I've learned, has really clicked things into place. And so, um, you know, that's I think where you guys come in as a very strong heavy hitter for people who are really seeking some answers on. So it's just some strange stuff because the, the Bible doesn't give you the full context. It, it, it's their historical records. So you know, the Book of Joshua, half of it's him speaking mightily and just in almost like military hyperbolic language and you don't understand what really is all going on and why they did this. Why was it at this time? Where were they? What's going on? So the Bible doesn't give you all that context. You sometimes have to go study it out. And uh, I think yeah. that's I think that's awesome. So uh, I, yeah, that, uh, that's a really good advice. Go ask Big Brother. <laughs> go ask Big Brother. <laughs> so I don't think that's uh, any shameful shame at all. It's how I actually understood baptism properly finally because uh, the Baptist teaching of it was always like, that doesn't quite make sense. I'm trying to grab it. Like, you don't have to, but you need to. Also, it's a one-time thing. Also, it's a church thing. And I'm like, okay. And then once I realized, I'm like, well, then how, how did John the Baptist start doing it? I just had so many confusing things that I realized, oh, oh, and the Jewish, oh, the mikvah. Oh, wait, oh, this is a purity wash. Oh, oh, so that's where the symbology truly comes from. You know, is this understanding yeah. the biblical context. And that was because I had to go ask Big Brother. So um, I think that's that's really that's beautifully put, well put. So uh, real quick before before we close up shop here, uh, is there any other advice that you'd give or uh, anything like that, or just go follow you? Man, I could go on for ages, but uh, instead, yeah, if you were to just <laughs> go to the channel, uh, we're we're still you know brand new, um, so not very many videos, but uh, uh, we've got a studio now. This is not it. Um, and we're going to be producing uh, videos a lot more often, um, addressing questions, and, and that's another thing. Um, if you have a question, uh, anybody out there listening, leave a comment in the videos, uh, and we will absolutely address those questions. Um, we are not. A, we've a lot of the questions you probably have. We have had at some time. We're not afraid to tackle any issue, and we're not afraid. We're not afraid to admit when we're wrong either. If 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 you catch us on something and we're wrong. Well, then we're wrong. We turn the mirror back on ourselves, um, look at ourselves, make the necessary changes, and and move on. Um, so we welcome the discussion uh, uh, and and the back and forth. Um, but please don't be afraid to ask questions. That's that's one of the. I feel like some people are afraid to ask questions because they're afraid of the answer. Um, and uh, you know, the, the other big piece of advice is don't be afraid of the answer you get. Just you know, come you know. Again, I, it took me forever to even be a believer. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs>
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that. I love the fact that you guys are really to tackle questions. I mean, we're the same way here. Uh, I only have one video that's like got over 16,000 views and there's still comments all the time on it. And I try to keep up <laughs> on them. And it's just like, you know, I, but that's the thing. It's not being afraid to tackle these. Don't be afraid of the truth. All truth is God's truth. So why are we scared of it? You know, it should be something we embrace. Yeah. It should be something we're okay with. And, you know, if that means you have to make a major life change, you know, if that means you have to eventually become a believer because the truth is so apparent. If that means eventually, you know, I, I, I'm in here and you hear me, uh, uh, what is it, reject bacon, then you'll really know that, that Will has definitely embraced some things and uh, yeah, it'll be a, I'll, I'll, I'll need some therapy, but I'll be okay. I'm just kidding. I actually don't eat bacon that much. Uh, but anyway, um, well, Seamus, thank you so much for being on. This was super cool. Uh, super awesome just to be able to finally just chat with you. That's the best part about, I felt like this interview, I was just getting to know you uh, alongside everybody else. So uh, I feel like we're going to probably do more things in the future uh, together. Also, guys, heads up, uh, this Tuesday, just a couple days, we're going to have a debate. Brad, the other guy here, he's going to debate uh, a Catholic, uh, a uh, catechism following Catholic on is baptism necessary for salvation. And uh, so then you'll be able to see the more cantankerous side of alternate media. And uh, <laughs> um, But he's uh, it'll be a great time. So tune in for that, guys. We're going to leave the description there. Go follow them. This is great. It's a fantastic time. But Seamus... I know you're a busy man today. Thank you so much for being on, and we're going to go ahead and let you go, okay? Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you having me on the no show. Problem. It means a lot to me, so yeah. thank you so much. It's thank you great. for being on. It means a lot to me, too. So uh, shalom, my friend. Yeah. You take care. <laughs> shalom, me, my homie. Shalom, me, my homie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we're not cutting that out. We're keeping that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Seamus, you take care, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I'm... Right now, what is it, 2.30? I, we're actually done sooner than I thought we'd be. Hey, that's good. I, I tried to make sure we keep moving along. So anyhow, guys, my name is Seamus with The Church Split. And this, uh, I may say Seamus, I say Seamus. <laughs> my name is Will with The Church Split. And this is Seamus with Alternate Media. Thank you guys for being here today and tune in next time. Take care.